the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990. And FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Always so pleased when you join us. Pete Paquette, he's the engineer extraordinaire. Andrew Hurdliska produces the show for us. And I'm very happy to welcome Dr. Matt Queen uh, to Orlando. He's in Fort Worth, Texas. We're going to talk about his book, The Gospel Invitation. Why publicly inviting people to receive Christ still matters. <clears throat> Matt, <clears throat> welcome to Orlando. It is an honor <clears throat> to be on with you today, Pat. Uh, tell me about your book. Why was this important for you to write, Matt? Well, um, you know, I, I'm a, a, a seminary professor. I'm also a uh, an evangelist and go around preaching. And, um, you know, I've observed, along with uh, Dr. O.S. Hawkins, who helped uh, uh, co-write this book, we've observed that that in churches today, uh, there's a lot more um, time of Bible teaching than there, are, than there is Bible preaching in the sense of calling, preaching, extending, calling for an invitation. And a lot of churches have gone away from kind of explaining what to do whenever they hear the Word of God and responding to faith in Jesus Christ publicly and immediately. So uh, this book is really meant to help encourage pastors, evangelists, uh, even Sunday school teachers uh, whenever they teach the Word of God, to uh, invite people right then and there into a personal relationship with Jesus. You open your book with this chapter, Public Invitations in the Bible. Tell us more. Yes. So the number one reason why um, anybody who speaks publicly about the good news of Jesus Christ or preaches the gospel or explains the gospel should give an invitation is because there is a pattern all throughout the Scriptures uh, for us to do this. In fact, it starts all the way, Pat, back in Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, whenever they disobeyed God and they were hiding uh, their sin, God called out and said, Adam, where are you? And he called him to immediately and publicly present himself before God so he could be right with God. And that call has echoed down. It's echoed through min- uh, Moses' ministry, Joshua's ministry, Elijah's ministry, through uh, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, and it it goes down to even today. And so what we wanted to do in chapter one was to talk a little bit about there's a, there's a biblical precedent for calling people uh, to faith publicly and to do so immediately. Uh, second part, <clears throat> I want you to explain the necessity of public gospel invitations. Why is it necessary? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why it's necessary. First of all, it's just the nature of teaching versus preaching. Um, when you're teaching something, um, many times you're just conveying information. You may, you know, uh, suggest some application of how, you know, the Bible can apply to your life. But that's basically uh, teaching. But on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and in, in other places when the Word is actually preached. The, the idea of preaching itself actually is to call for a response. It is to issue a, a call, to call for a verdict. And so just the very nature of what uh, people do whenever they preach the gospel, they ought to uh, uh, not just sell the in short and actually uh, call for people to uh, respond. You know, other reasons that exist as well. When we look in the New Testament, the majority of disciples that were made in the New Testament did not come from personal evangelism, but came from public uh, proclamation of the gospel and people responding. Uh, we see the, the very first time in 
Pentecost, uh, 3,000 souls get saved. And then uh, there's more and more that come and build after that. And, and then, you know, another reason is historically, there's a long line all the way from the Bible, even through the history of the church, of there being public uh, calls for people to receive Christ. And again, uh, many times these things publicly happen whenever they're called to come, and they actually get baptized in public in front of people. And uh, I think throughout history, you, you think of some of the great evangelists like a D.L. Moody or a Billy Graham or a Louis Palau, even now today with Greg Laurie. Um, this, this is a historical tradition of the church uh, to get the gospel out to as many people, uh, to say as much of the gospel, to, to try to bring as many of the gospel as possible. My guest is Matt Queen, speaking about his book, The Gospel Invitation. Now, uh, Matt, I want you to explain to us planning public gospel invitations. What goes into that? Yeah, there's really two two parts of that. And Dr. Hawkins and I, when we came together, we wanted to encourage people on how, how do you do this? Now that you're convinced there's a, a biblical precedent for it, a historical precedent for it, um, how do you go about doing this? And uh, just like in personal evangelism, when people tell people, other people about the good news of Jesus Christ, they ought to go into that with prayer. In the very same way, those that issue public gospel invitations ought to be prepared through prayer. Um, you know, uh, Jesus said, you know, we have not because we ask not. And sometimes uh, we, you know, find people that will go in and uh, they'll they'll preach, uh, preach the Bible, preach for 20, 30, 40 minutes, and they've not spent enough time asking God, God, would you just let this not just be a good sermon that people like, but would you let this be the catalyst to transform people from light, uh, from darkness to light and from death to life? And so uh, Dr. Hawkins and I uh, talked talk to uh, those that read this book about not only personally praying yourself for those that you're bringing uh, to the service on Sunday morning, uh, to the event or to the class or to wherever it is, but also enlisting other Christians uh, to uh, be praying for you. You know, Pat, we all need uh, a little bit of help when it comes to living this Christian life, and uh, even more so those that are out in public, uh, you know, telling the name of Jesus. And so uh, we talk, we, we give some suggestions on how you can help people with some prayer points for that. You know, the second thing is, is that uh, if if there's ever a gospel presentation uh, given at an end of a sermon today, generally it's kind of a plug and play. You know, you preach your sermon, you disengage, and then you just say the same thing over and over. You know, I call you to faith in Christ. I call you to salvation. And uh, what Dr. Hawkins and I are convinced of in the book is that the Bible is uh, true. It has no errors, and it is sufficient for any need. And if we believe that, and I believe preachers that preach the Bible believe that, then we ought to use the text to draw people to faith in Jesus Christ. Instead of just adding our words at the end, continue that sermon, that text we've been preaching for 20, 30, 40 minutes, and calling people to faith in Jesus from the text we're actually preaching. Tell me more about O.S. Hawkins, who you keep mentioning. <laughs> yes. Well, O.S. Hawkins is uh, the uh, currently now the chancellor of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary here in Fort Worth, Texas, where I serve as interim provost. And so uh, he is one of our leaders. Before that, he was uh, at uh, Guidestone, which is a um, uh, retirement and insurance company for, uh, for ministers in the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a best-selling author. He's got a code series that is New York Times uh, uh, bestsellers. And also, Dr. Hawkins has been a pastor. He has done uh, this at First Baptist Dallas. He's done it at First Baptist Fort Lauderdale. And so he is a man who is seasoned uh, and who, throughout his ministry, has given public gospel invitations. We're talking with Matt Queen in Fort Worth. The Gospel Invitation, the name of his book, and we've covered public invitations in the Bible, the necessity of public gospel invitations, planning public gospel invitations. Now, Matt, talk to us about extending public gospel invitations. Yeah, I, uh, Pat, this, uh, this week I was watching on social media, and there was a, kind of a funny little video that went on when there was a guy that was a pastor that was down front waiting for people, and he was there, and he was praying 
there at the altar with his eyes closed, standing up, waiting for people. And a lady came up to respond and kind of startled him, you know. And uh, there were several people that were laughing about that. And and uh, what what was pretty neat is that Dr. Hawkins and I, when we wrote this book, we thought, okay, you know, there's a way to let your text and and to form and to articulate your gospel presentation. But you need to know you need to know. Uh, some pointers. And so when you come up uh, to uh, the altar, we need to expect that people are going to come. And so instead of uh, doing all of our praying at the end of the sermon, we need to start doing some praying before the sermon. Uh, we also need to be um, uh, be confident in the way that we share it. You know, uh, sometimes uh, pastors will get up there and, you know, they'll kind of hem and haw and you know, if you want to do this, we need to be confident. And uh, there are some great points that uh, Dr. Hawkins especially made in that in that chapter uh, to uh, to be more confident in the way that we look. Our posture as well. You know, sometimes uh, if you're if you're there and you're uh, up there and you're looking at the watch, you're looking at the clock, you're not looking at for people, you're not inviting people to come down. Sometimes even your posture can hold hold back from having people come. And so what we want to do and and what we've done in this chapter and what we want to encourage people who read this is if you're in a public speaking engagement and you're calling people right then on the spot to trust Christ, we we try to encourage you to have the kind of posture and the kind of the confidence that you need, that they need to know that this is a serious decision and it's the most important decision that anybody can make. And the book in that chapter is just trying to help pastors with a little bit more extra confidence uh, to help that person who may be afraid to respond. They don't know exactly what to do so that there's a clear understanding of this is what you're going to do if you're going to respond to Jesus. You're going to turn away from your sin. You're going to put your faith in Jesus, and then you're going to call on him for your salvation. Where does baptism fit into this discussion? That's a great question, Pat. Uh, Baptism is is a big part of this. So in the Bible, uh, baptism is your profession of faith. You do have to call on the name of the Lord, but baptism does tell people publicly that, uh, in, at least in a Baptist tradition from where I'm from, we believe in immersion. And so uh, we believe that uh, when you look in the Bible, anytime that was ba- anybody was baptized in the New Testament, they believed first and then they were baptized. And so when you're baptized, you're standing up, you're showing that Jesus died, you're taken underneath the water. It looks as if uh, Jesus was buried, and then you're brought up from the water. He rose from the dead, and that is the testimony of those who are baptized by immersion. And so, you know, a lot of churches today, Pat, whenever uh, they uh, want to give some kind of invitation like this, sometimes they go ahead and fill the baptistry up and have people right there. Uh, whenever they respond to Jesus, repent and believe, they get baptized right there. So uh, that's that's something that I think uh, goes plays right with this. Now, there are other, uh, other traditions, other denominations that may want to have a little bit more time, uh, you know, uh, to talk to the person about that immediate decision. Uh, but baptism definitely takes place uh, with the gospel invitation very close to it because it is a public profession of your faith. My guest is Dr. Matt Queen, author of The Gospel Invitation. More with Matt right after these messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're tuned into AM 990. FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Dr. Matt Queen is with us from Fort Worth, Texas. We're talking about his book, The Gospel Invitation. And Matt, we've arrived at uh, topic number five. The best practices in issuing public gospel invitations. Fill us in. Yeah, so there are some best practices that are out there. You know, Pat, uh, to be honest with you, there have been times whenever uh, the um, uh, the gospel invitation has been issued throughout history, and sometimes it's been done with uh, some of the wrong intentions. And by that, I mean uh, some people have tried to manipulate people uh, for their own gain, to, to uh, sometimes to get money, or we've seen uh, this sometimes on places, or sometimes just to get, you know, some kind of, of, of popular press for themselves. And so one of the things that Dr. Hawkins and I do in the book, and we just want to encourage people that do give public invitations, is to 
be be it is to make sure they check their heart to be pious in whenever they go to be cautious to that to remember that salvation is the work of God from start to finish, and they're just a messenger. Uh, they they don't need to do the work of God in uh, pressuring people into decisions, but they do need to do so in such a way that is confident, but gives people the information they need to respond. We also, in that chapter, we just want to encourage pastors to be um, uh, passionate, uh, not to, not to uh, go around and just uh, use a lot of smoke and mirrors and uh, try to uh, do almost like a Hollywood set, but, be, but let the passion from your heart, the Holy Spirit working in your life, let it, uh, let it be seen uh, to those that uh, are hearing the gospel. And also, we encourage pastors and evangelists and Sunday school teachers and those that ever in a crowd can give an opportunity to share the gospel, to be patient. You know, Pat, sometimes um, when you try to do a gospel invitation, uh, somebody may not respond, and they may not respond the next week. And sometimes that can be discouraging, and you can maybe tell yourself, you know, that doesn't work. But uh, some of the best practices over time is, uh, is that those that have given gospel invitations, even over long periods of time when they've not had responses, if they're patient enough, Usually the Lord, somewhere, somewhere or the other, will bring a lost soul to faith in Jesus Christ after time, after uh, the faithfulness of sharing the good news. Matt, tell us more about the Holy Spirit and where the mm. Holy Spirit fits into our faith walk. Yes, he is essential, and unfortunately, uh, there's not as much talk about the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of self-help books that uh, that are out there, and uh, when it comes to uh, giving an invitation in a public sense or even in a private sense, it's the Holy Spirit that ought to lead, guide, and direct us to 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 tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Pat, as you know, you watch the news like I do. There's a lot of bad news out there, and uh, Christians go around with the best news ever. And if we are submitting to the Holy Spirit and saying, God, when you will lead me to these opportunities, I will share the gospel. He'll give us the words to say. He'll give us the courage to act. And uh, he'll give us uh, just uh, just the leadership that we need to, to identify and to open our eyes to see those opportunities that are all around us. The Holy Spirit's also important, Pat, because uh, that's whenever we get our direction, uh, just for even the decisions in our life, even outside of giving an invitation. Um, the Bible says that, uh, you know, we ought to test ourselves whether we be of the faith. And a lot of people, as they maybe have responded to a public gospel invitation or they've responded to some kind of invitation before and they've walked through a process and they say, okay, I'm saved. But then you look at their lives and there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Uh, Paul said, test yourselves, examine yourself, whether you be of the faith, or do you not know that the Spirit of Christ is in you? You know, I think uh, the Holy Spirit is important for, for this topic, because if you've ever responded to the gospel's call, personally or publicly, um, we need to make sure that the life that we're living is one that has the evidence of the Spirit. Are we overcoming temptation in our life? Uh, do, we, uh, do, do we have the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness? gentleness and self-control. And so the Holy Spirit is very important on the front end of calling people to faith in Christ, but also on the back end for them to make sure that the decision they made was one that was actually valid. Matt, at the end of your book, there's an afterword. Yes. Uh, What are you writing in that afterword? Yes. So in that afterword, uh, Dr. Hawkins and I come together and we're we're trying to help pastors know okay here is what uh here's what we've done we have taken a uh, we've taken a topic that has lost uh some some viability in churches today and that's giving a public invitation and what we've done is we've said you know what um though it may not be as as popular as it used to be there's still a need for it the bible still has encounters of these. God has blessed these throughout history. And we just want to encourage them that when it comes to giving those gospel invitations, you're you're supposed to actually answer just a a few questions. How can you do it? Well, this book is going to, has given uh, ways for people to know exactly how they can go about and give these. What are they doing? Uh, We want to communicate the gospel. We don't want just to add our own words or just get people to join our own crowd, but we want to convey the message of the gospel to our listeners. 
And we want them to know at the end, so what? Now that you've read this, what do I do? We want to encourage through this afterward our people to take the messages from the Bible to press unbelievers to repent and believe publicly and immediately. And then last, we end with a now what? Now what do you do? Well, now take what you've done. There's some exercises in, in the book that you can utilize each and every week and go forward and make sure that we're doing all we can to point the lost to faith in Jesus Christ. I love Appendix 2 in your book, an example of a public gospel appeal. Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, so as I mentioned a little earlier, uh, Dr. Hawkins was the pastor uh, of uh, First Baptist Church uh, Dallas and also the uh, pastor of First Baptist Church Fort Lauderdale. And so uh, what we wanted to do is, in addition to giving these principles, giving some structure and exercises, we wanted to provide uh, those that read this book an example of how Dr. Hawkins might preach on any given Sunday, as he did in Fort Lauderdale and at at First Baptist Dallas. And uh, basically what you're going to see is, I think, in my opinion, is is a prime example of how you take everything that we've done in this book and do it in a way that's winsome, and do it in a way that's spirit-filled, and giving this invitation and issuing invitations in such a way that uh, are clear. People know exactly what they're being called to do, but also they are also knowing um, when and where they're to go to be able to talk to somebody about their decision. You know, Pat, uh, many times when people hear the good news, and even when the Holy Spirit convicts them, they don't know what to do. And I believe that this appendix uh, to that, uh, this example that Dr. Hawkins gives is a perfect example. So if pastors want to have, okay, what, what, would, what would one of these look like? Dr. Hawkins is the prime example of doing that. While we're chatting here, Matt, <clears throat> tell me more about Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. What's going on there? Well, there's some great things going on at Southwestern. You know, at Southwestern, we're uh, one of the largest uh, seminaries uh, here in the world, and uh, we've uh, been around since 1908, founded by B.H. Carroll, uh, who was a Texan. And, uh, you know, there's some great things going on at Southwestern because he and his vision back in 1908 said for a a seminary to be lashed to the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, it ought to have evangelism in its curriculum. And so he, he uh, established the very first evangelism professorship in the world, the very first evangelism classes in a seminary or divinity school. And, uh, you know, Pat, to this day, we are still doing that. In fact, Dr. Hawkins and I, this coming fall, are teaching a class using this book called Evangelistic Preaching. And it's for people who are looking for seminary education. It's for those that already been seminary educated and just want to kind of have just an update on things. And so that's the heart of who we are. Southwestern is a, a school to teach uh, how to do uh, preaching and also how to do evangelism. We've sent out more missionaries uh, than any other seminary in the world, in the history of the world, that are out there telling the good news of Jesus Christ. And so with Dr. Hawkins as our chancellor, Dr. David Docker is our president, and then I'm working right now as the interim provost. We're just trying to continue a heritage that we've had since 1908. Are you encouraged with the young people you're seeing these days? Oh, I sure am. You know, we have a class. One, one, of, one of the things that we do at Southwestern is we have a class where on spring break we send students out uh, to preach revivals. And uh, I taught that class this semester, and it's just so encouraging to see them come back from preaching and from learning what they learned from uh, the principles of this book and saying, hey, Dr. Queen, somebody, uh, you know, somebody got saved. I mean, there was one guy who had, I think, about eight people saved during the course of the week, and they baptized them right there on the spot. Uh, it, it was just, it's just encouraging to see this new generation that uh, maybe have not been exposed to public invitations or a lot of personal evangelism. And when they're getting it here at Southwestern Seminary, it's just encouraging for them to see their lights light, uh, their eyes light up and for them to be passionate about the good news like, uh, like everybody should be. Folks, um, our guest has been Dr. Matt Queen. <clears throat> the book, The Gospel Invitation, Why Publicly Inviting People to Receive Christ Still Matters. And before we uh, take a break here, I do want to remind you we're working hard at trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. And uh, it's gaining momentum, and you, and you can help a great deal. Go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and 
and just check in. Let us hear from you. What are your thoughts? You like this idea of Orlando being a Major League Baseball city? Interested in season tickets if this whole thing works out? Uh, get in touch with us, orlandodreamers.com. And I do want to remind you that my latest book is out. It's called Who Coached the Coaches? Uh, I interviewed, oh, hundreds of coaches and pros, Amateur College. I just asked them one question. Who is the key person in you becoming a coach? And, and the book is exactly what they said to me. Uh, about who this key person was. Many said it was their high school coach. Many said it was their dad. Uh, A fascinating uh, array of different responses about how they became a coach. Well, folks, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've got more right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. And we're always so pleased when you join us. Next guest coming up. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Dr. Matt Queen, our guest in that first segment in Fort Worth, Texas, talking about his book, The Gospel Invitation. Well, we just shoot from Fort Worth up to Denver, Colorado, and uh, we found Dr. Lowell Buznitz. Uh, he's the co-founder of the Center for Entrepreneurship at the University of Oklahoma and is now Professor Emeritus. And his book is out, Soul Work, Finding God in Your Entrepreneurial Pursuits. Lowell, welcome to Orlando. How are you? I am doing great. What a privilege to be on with you today, Pat. <clears throat> uh, tell me about this book. <clears throat> Well, it's, it's uh, you know, over the course of my own life, I've been on, on a journey trying to figure out the significance of, uh, of my work and uh, was full-time paid ministry more, uh, more important than, than work. And, and uh, the, uh, it is not more important. Work is uh, incredibly important and been on a life journey to to uh, discover the importance of work and, and a thirsting for God. And, and it's like, wait a minute, you know, God's got to be, uh, be involved and, uh, and, and very much in my work. So what does that look like? Um, and so, so this work at the uh, conclusion more of, uh, as I wrapped up my work as a, uh, finally, as a professor, it's like I want. I need to put uh, this to to pencil, <laughs> to uh, to to see the importance of of work. And what I discovered over time was that work was just an amazing catalyst for my journey with the Lord. Your first chapter uh, is called "Striving to Connect God and Work." <laughs> fill, fill us in. Yes, that you know. It was almost like I grew up with this idea that I had to take God with me to work. I had to do something to to uh, try to connect with God, <clears throat> and I knew that that He was there. But it's like, do I take Him to work with me? Um, and uh, and is my importance as, of of work hinged hinged on whether or not I can communicate the uh, gospel to other, other people. That's certainly uh, a good thing to do, but, but it was a striving. Uh, and it's kind of like, what do I need to do to uh, connect with God? And I would drive home at work at night, and, and I would uh, uh, be starting to process my day, and I would say, oh, my goodness, I never prayed all day today. Maybe I didn't even think about him all day today since my quiet time first thing in the morning. Um, and, uh, and I would kind of beat myself up. And then I discovered that some of the most important things happened in, my, uh, in terms of my journey with the Lord in my work. And so, so um, I think that the essence of Chapter 1 is, the, is that we typically think of work as as uh, 
something that uh, we take God, we put in our back pocket, we take Christian principles with us, and we go to work, and hopefully we exercise good ethical decision-making. We're able to communicate his message to others. We uh, find ways to, to love people. Uh, and those are good things to do. But I just I found that there's a whole lot more to, uh, to God in the workplace and to soul work than uh, just taking him with me to work. Now, uh, Lowell, I want you to talk to us about a new paradigm, finding God already at work. Yes. That was, uh, you know, that was that was a big aha moment for me when uh, when I when I discovered and and changed my perspective. That wait a minute, God is is a whole lot bigger than than attaching him uh, uh, to some concepts and putting him on my back pocket and going to work. But that he was already there. If God is God. He is already at work. He is, he is, uh, and is much bigger than that. But he's wanting to to change me there. And so, so the fundamental shift, instead of kind of going to work and feeling like I have to take him with me and I have to live my life the right way uh, in order to be successful in my in my walk with the Lord, is really was a very freeing moment when I discovered that. You know, my job is to see you. He's already here. How do I connect with, with God who's already there? And what is he wanting to show me? And I started finding ways in which his thumbprint was already on my work uh, in the workplace. And so, and so that was, that to me is very freeing for me. Uh, but I think it's also more, more true in terms of just who God uh, the, that he is everywhere present, and uh, and the the evidence of his thumbprints are there, and it's uh, the workplace is uh, is an amazing opportunity to connect with uh, with God, and uh, discovered that he was trying to show himself to me in the workplace. Doctor Lowell Booznitz is our guest. He's in Denver. Book Soul Work. Next topic for you, Lowell. What does God think about work? Interesting question, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I love that question. Um, you know, work was God's idea first. Um, Genesis 1, he, uh, he went through the creation process, and he made all these, uh, the land and the, the water and the light and, and, uh, and the animals, and after uh, at the end of the six days, it says that, that God rested from his work. Um, so, I, you know, growing up, I, I always thought that <clears throat> when I, work came because of the fall, when, when I would have to pull weeds from my mother's garden or I'd have to get inside a, a steel bin and shovel itchy grain or something like that, I would say, Adam and Eve, why did you have to sin? <laughs> why do I have to do this work that I that I don't like? And uh, that, but uh, but God God worked first, and then before the fall, He gave He gave Adam uh, work responsibility. He asked Adam to 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 work the garden and to uh, to tend it. Uh, uh, Adam named all the animals. This is in Genesis two, and so um, work is a is a um, is a great thing. I think work is actually and, and God worked first, and He made us in His image, um, and so that means we're designed to work. And so, consequently, another way of saying it is, I think there's great dignity in work, and so. So, uh, so yeah, and I think the scriptures are, we don't very often look at them very closely, but, uh, and that's what I do in chapter three, talk about four different pillars uh, and discussions of, of work and, uh, in, the, in the scriptures. And so lots of vocations are mentioned in, this, in the scriptures and, um, and um, completely believe that that uh, God is there in the in the midst of those and has ordained those and and uh, are those are catalysts for us to to 
to get to know him, avenues, windows of opportunity to discover him. Lowell, uh, the next topic I want you to explain to us, engaging God through innovation. (laughs) Yeah, you know, being from an entrepreneurship background and having my own company as well as uh, then going into the academic side of it and and visiting and getting exposure to a lot of different entrepreneurs and and uh, doing research on them. Uh, innovation is, I am convinced, not the only way by any means, but but it is an amazing way to discover the thumbprints of God. It's a way to go deeper. Innovation is not just, oh, well, here is component A, and uh, here is component C, and when I put them together, I get D uh, or something. It's, it, innovation goes deeper. Hey, wait a minute. That didn't work to put A and C together very well. You know, well, what if we, we interject B into the equation, or, or what if we, <clears throat> you know, apply a, a, a heat treatment or, uh, or something else that we – we do, and we start discovering why something works, why it doesn't work, and we start seeing the intricacies of God's handiwork in creation. Um, and and so that's one of the reasons. And whether we're working with people, maybe we're we're innovating around systems or uh, installing um, installing new software programs that uh, hopefully will will make work easier and, and uh, more efficient and, uh, and meet the needs of, of people more efficiently. Well, we run into snags, and we, and we discover that we didn't really always innovate everything just right, and we've got to go back and redo it, and we gain insight into the users. And, and when we do this, they, uh, you know, they hit a dead end and, and it blocks them. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate with them. But when we uh, change the way we approach it, all of a sudden we find uh, prospective customers probing deeper. And so, and so the way we write software can be an amazing catalyst of insight into how people function, uh, into uh, how people are, are made in God's image. And so, and therefore, in our work and in our innovation, we get a probe more deeply into uh, whatever as- aspect it may be, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're you're somebody uh, working in in corporate, or or whether you're uh, a stay-at-home mom, uh, you're all of us are usually engaging in some kind of innovation at some point, and I find that those innovation opportunities are are really, uh, really helpful for seeing more of the thumbprint of, of, of God. My, my guest is Dr. Lowell uh, Bornitz, Boosnitz, excuse me. His book is called Soul Work, Finding God in Your Entrepreneurial Pursuits. Uh, more with uh, Dr. Boosnitz when we come back to topic, practicing your spiritual gifts at work. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're tuned in to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, and uh, we're visiting with Dr. Lowell Boosnitz in Denver. The book, Soul Work. And uh, Lowell, as mentioned, practicing your spiritual gifts at work. Tell us about that. Yes. You know, I just, I for years got kind of tangled up in uh, in spiritual gifts. As as God was uh, working, opening avenues for me to discover himself and showing himself to me in the workplace, uh, I discovered, was just, discovering and this is uh all the different aspects of of people and my own my own differences and why i had some eyes to to see things and to do some things better than my colleagues and why 
uh, and insights into how my, some of my colleagues had amazing ways to do things, uh, different entrepreneurs. They would just have one entrepreneur just have amazing insights into, into how, to, how to build an organization that really uh, motivated people and created incentives for uh, people to move forward. Um, <clears throat> and and I obviously being uh, being in the household of faith, being involved in churches, I talked and wondered and probed and about my own spiritual gifts and and realized I had uh, spiritual gifts, but I but I had this tendency to kind of check my spiritual gifts at the door when I left church functions. Um, and, uh, it was just an, uh, an eye opener for me to, to recognize that my spiritual gifts and my talents and resources that God has, has given me are, are also, uh, just as available in the workplace and to, to see those come to fruition in the workplace really opened my eyes. I think our, our, our own gifts, our own talents that we have, if you want to draw a distinction between those two or, or just want to lump those together, at least for our purposes and our discussion here, I, just, I find the areas where we're strong and where our strengths are, are, are real opportunities to discover God, that, that it's almost like they're another lens into seeing the the fingerprints of God in our lives. That's the uh, that's the essence of uh, spiritual gifts. They go they go beyond the household of faith, and uh, and are um, just a, a great catalyst for, for discovering God and uh, and enjoying our work and finding significance in our work when we uh, when we bring our giftedness and our talents into the workplace. Uh, Lowell, the next topic for you is loving your workplace neighbors. Yeah, we, you know, so this book is, again, about the reframing of, of the workplace and not just taking. I think we all understand that we need to love others in the workplace, but but this book in reframing the whole idea of work, that work is an amazing catalyst for, for discovering God in the workplace and filling that out more, that the workplace is and loving others is, is an eye-opener. Um, we get to see all the different kinds of people that <laughs> um, need to be loved on. And, and we're more effective in loving some people than others. But his, uh, if we're all created in his image, <laughs> uh, his thumbprint, unique thumbprint, is on every person that we deal with. And, uh, and so loving, loving others, loving our neighbors is, uh, is, a, is another window into who God is, um, and and the workplace gives us great opportunity. We get to work elbow to elbow with others that are um, uh, have different skills and uh, skill sets and and talents than than we do. But to uh, bring those together in the workplace, I think, is is really interesting and uh, opportunity to to compliment others, to, to work together as a team, to love on others, to acknowledge the, the strengths that they, that they bring, um, uh, just like uh, an athletic team, uh, you know, that all the different players that – it's just beautiful, particularly this time of the year with, uh, with, uh, with the playoffs to watch different teams work together and the chemistry uh, between the coach and the players and, and key players and, and the support cast and, and all that are, are just fascinating opportunities for us to see the uniqueness of, of God. And, uh, and, and when, we're, when we're part of the team, 
to see how he has has equipped us uh, and uh, and given us the ability to do that and to and to love on people through that. I think when we function in the context of our of our of our our strengths, that um, that that then becomes an amazing way to love on others. That we increase enhance our ability to to love others, to touch others in a meaningful way when we do that. Lowell, I want you to talk to us about Chapter 9, <clears throat> Avodah, Worship and Work. Uh, can you uh, explain that to us? Oh, yes, love to. My, one of my new favorite words, it's a Hebrew word. <laughs> Maybe one of, the, one of the only small handful of Hebrew words I know, but Avodah, is uh, is a Hebrew word that is um, uh, translated into English sometimes as work, sometimes as service, sometimes as worship, sometimes as indistinguishable between those three. When God told Adam to work the garden in Genesis 2, that is the first place where the word avodah in the Hebrew text is used, and it's translated work there. He was literally to go and, uh, and work, the, uh, work the garden. Uh, to, uh, but other places that it's used as worship. I just think that is a, uh, a beautiful picture of what work is to be about about bringing us to the feet of Jesus and to uh, worship him and honor him. So often we, we, uh, um, when we think about the kind of what I call the, 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 the old paradigm, uh, the old way of thinking of, well, I need to take God with me to work, uh, it also kind of goes with, all right, I'm going to go to church on Sunday I'm going to hear teaching, and that's great, and we all need, and we need that that teaching and that input and the time to to worship collectively with a with a body of believers. And we, I mean, we often speak of it as filling up our tank, and uh, and hopefully there's enough to last us uh, through to Friday. Sometimes we run out on Tuesday or Wednesday already. But when we get to go to work. <laughs> And work and worship become a part of one another, uh, become one of the things. Then also the, the picture becomes one of, of working Monday to Friday to take God with us to worship on Sunday. That we don't just leave Sunday services with our, our tank full, but I hope uh, for me, and it's just really significant for me anyway, when I get to go on Sunday morning with something to offer in my worship, that I don't come with just an empty tank, but I can come with an offering to, wor- to, to, to worship with. That when I have seen the thumbprint of God in my work, whether it's the innovation I'm working on, whether it's uh, some of my gifts and talents and resources that I've had when I have been able to interact with some people and just saw some and witnessed and got to be a team member with some amazing people with uh, an amazing capability where where the thumbprint of God is. I, I, it, it's fodder for worship. It's reason to come before him. And, to, and so Sunday morning I come in, where did I see the thumbprint of God in my work this week? Where, did he, where is he showing himself to me? And, uh, and I got a gaze of, on a little aspect of, of his character, of, of his creation in a unique way that I had eyes to see. And I get to come and bring that as an offering, so to speak, on Sunday to worship him. Avodah. Sometimes work, sometimes service, sometimes worship, sometimes all the above. Lowell, the last topic I want you to talk about, preparing your way for soul work. What's up? Yeah. I, you know, it's um, it's not a simple, easy road. 
to uh, to think about. Uh, oh well, I'm just automatically going to start start seeing God in my work, uh, and so. I what I do in that chapter, I outline some various pathways uh, to uh, to start to uh, uh, discover his thumbprint in your work. Uh, but most of all, I just uh, if if this resonates with you, this line of uh, of thinking and, and a fresh way of approaching the workplace and discovering, and, and you want to connect with God and. And want to see work as an as an amazing catalyst for 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 flourishing in your journey with the Lord. Then I would just I would uh, plead with you to 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 fall on your knees before the Lord and ask Him, uh, show me. I have I I would have never uh, most. Uh, most people probably uh, haven't given thought to uh, the fact that I could actually discover God in my workplace. Our guest has been Dr. Lowell Buznitz in Denver, Colorado. The name of the book, Soul Work, Finding God in Your Entrepreneurial oh, entrepreneurial Pursuits. Uh, thanks so much for joining us this, for this hour. We're back next weekend for more <clears throat> Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5. The Word in Orlando. Have a great week ahead, and God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.